and welcome to the first ever episode of Acronym Soup, a new fortnightly podcast sharing voices and stories from within the diverse and colourful LGBTIA community. My name is Samuel Leighton Dorr. I'm the editor of Australia's favourite queer website, samesame.com.au, and I couldn't be more excited to be making this podcast with you in 2017. This first mini-episode is all about the joys and struggles of coming out. Whether you're coming out as gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans or HIV positive, Coming out of the closet is a journey most of us have been on. But, as this program will prove, every story is different. Over the coming months, we'll be curating a number of stories and conversations from within the community, around different themes including sex, relationships, family and religion. As always, we want to know what you think what you love and what you think we can improve on. So please feel free to send me an email at samuel at samesame.com.au. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy the first episode. Faustina Agoli is an Australian TV host, music journo, writer and DJ. You might remember her from her work hosting The Voice or Video Hits, as well as last year's Sydney Mardi Gras coverage on SBS. When she came out on her 31st birthday last year, Faustina entered the uncharted waters of same-sex dating. Last year, my boyfriend and I met up with Faustina in Los Angeles, where she took us out for an incredible hike behind the Hollywood sign. She also told us this story. Enjoy. When I first came out, I was absolutely terrified of downloading dating apps and catching up with women in real life. To mask the all-consuming terror, I wore a mask of overconfidence, which basically made me insufferable to be around. I became void of humility and void of deep listening, and all the while, my conscious mind screamed, Shut up! Stop it! You're screwing this up! Thank goodness, this period only lasted a short time. I'll admit that being yourself means that you surrender that terrified of dating personality to people. It's a glaring honesty that cuts through the facade of acting cool 100% of the time, all day, every day. It's a vulnerable place to be. But therein lies the rewards. Being honest allows you to meet genuine people who won't ignore, dismiss, diminish, violate, take advantage of, or poke fun at your vulnerability. You learn how to spot the not-so-good types and weed them out. And it makes space for big-hearted people. The kind of people that have their own way of saying, I hear you. I'm with you. And those kinds of people back their words up with action. Thinking about it now, I could probably say that I've had a handful of genuine I hear you, I'm with you moments. Though three shiny moments stand out. One of them was with Lucy. I saw Lucy out with her girlfriend at a gay girl party in Melbourne over the Easter break. Later that evening, I noticed a woman I was fond of, and my terrified of dating identity came out. In that moment, I realised that up until that point, all the women I had met up with were through apps. I started having a panic attack on the dance floor. I was embarrassed beyond words. Lucy's reaction? enormous compassion. She knew from an earlier conversation that my experience with women was limited. She calmed me down. It's all right, mate. 
Want me to ask her number for you? I could barely get out a, yes, please. And off Lucy went. Like magic, she completes the successful number exchange mission, mediating between two very shy women in a loud bar. That kind of empathy is rare to me, especially in my short-lived gay girl experience. I could trust her. The second I hear you, I'm with you moment came a few months later. I'd been doing a rigorous self-audit since working on Oprah's speaking tour of Australia and New Zealand as her opening DJ. Oprah had always left an impression on me, but that two-week solid tour was absolutely profound. What I know is, is that if you do work that you love and work that fulfills you, the rest will come. And that I truly believe that the reason I've been able to be so financially successful is because my focus has never ever for one minute been money. I left the tour wanting to be a better woman. I wanted to be kinder to myself and better to others. I looked at the interactions I was having with women. I realised I needed to reach out to the first woman I had a proper date with. It was well over a year ago. She was a date where I wore my overconfidence mask too. And on the second date, I wore two of them, one on top of the other, until I was barely recognisable. Sure enough, she drifted off. I sent her an email. Subject, a humble note. I owned my mistake, told her I became the type of person I loathed, gave her the reasons for my foolishness. Our dates were my first dates, I explained, though not excusing my behaviour. And I wished her all the best. A woman as wonderful as her deserved all the good things. She wrote back the next morning, a thank you. She understood where I was at. She found the woman she wants to marry. And because of that, she was reckoning with parts of herself. Her shiny words, I'm in the boat right next to you. I sat in my bed with that email for a while. I was moved by how gracious she was. And I shed a few tears. God bless her. And I realized that I was the kind of child who was always searching for, um, for love and affection and attention and somebody to say, to look at me and say, yes, you are worthy. And unfortunately, there are adults who will take advantage of that and misread your intentions. And I, you know, just part of the process for me as an adult has, come, has been to come to recognize that, that I am solely responsible for it and um, not trying to please other people, not living my life to please other people, but doing what my heart says all the time. That's the biggest lesson. The third shiny moment came with old mate Texan Nugget. By then, I was well and truly moving through the world with no silly master hide behind. I had learnt my lessons. Especially Oprah's, you yourself are a whole person and don't need someone to complete you, life class. I mean, rarely do first dates go down well. But Nugget and I enjoyed each other's company. We avoided Pink Taco and shared a late night dinner at The Standard. In the wee hours of the morning, we stood by my car, comparing accents and the pronunciations of different words. It had gotten to that point in the night where something was supposed to happen. There was chemistry, but I sure as hell wasn't going to initiate. There was a lull in the conversation. 
a moment of trepidation in her eyes. She launched in for a kiss. Electric sparks zinged to the back of my head. Delight. I can count on one hand the amount of times this has happened to me. All feelings are new. I admitted, I wanted to kiss you for the longest time. She replied, Why didn't you? Silence. I rested my face in her neck instead. She said softly, Oh, you're nervous. And she held me tighter. I began to cry. She looked at me for a moment. I'm sure I didn't look all that pretty. Mask off in all my vulnerability. I was holding all the joy, pain and sheer relief it had taken me to get to that point. The life arc to coming out. And yet, while holding all of these emotions, the most important thing was that I felt safe. We both did. I wiped away my tears and blurted out. I know this is small. It just means a lot. You know? She replied, I know, and held me again. When you come out, I don't think you have to know much at all. I'd say this no matter if you're straight, gay, bi or trans. I think we all want to have a deep connection, to be compassionate to ourselves and to others, and to be able to say, in our own way, I hear you, I'm with you. That was the incredible Faustina Agoli, sharing her struggles and triumphs since coming out of the closet and entering the dating pool. If you want to know more about Faustina, you can find her at www.faustina.co. That's Faustina, F-A-U-S-T-I-N-A dot co. Hello. How are you doing? Can you see me? No. Oh, how do I do that? Jessica Merritt is an amazing and insightful trans writer from Queensland, Australia. She's written for me before on samesame.com.au and even though I've had her on Facebook for close to a year now, this is the first time we've actually spoken on the phone or on Skype. So here's the conversation we had about coming out. The first time I came out was as a gay back in high school. Yeah. Which is entirely accurate, but there was... It, it wasn't the support or the um, the language to describe what was going on internally for me. So it was easier just to say that. So if you're attracted to guys and you were a guy at the time, you were gay. It was just how it was. Mm. There was no real discussion of bisexuality or pansexuality or... I mean, you knew that trans people existed, but very peripherally, it was very rare. Mm. But I found that when I went to uni in the late 90s, I met a lot of trans people, a lot of gay people, a lot of bi people. And um, it was a really good time, actually, the late 90s. I knew a friend who transitioned in 2000, and she was 18, and she had SRS and everything. And no one cared. She got less heat than she would have got if she did it now in 2016. How did your family initially react when you came out as gay? (laughs) My mother was extremely, um, I'd like to say, she wasn't fundamentalist religious, but she was extremely conservative and repressed. And she was she completely rejected my gender identity and my sexuality. It was completely unacceptable to her. It was never something she could accept, she would want to accept. She would quiz me constantly, why do you shave your legs? 
why do you dress in girls' clothes? Why do you hang out with boys? And why are you placing ads in newspapers and stuff? So she knew everything I was doing and she quizzed the shit out of it. And I became a very proficient liar because I knew I could never tell her the truth. It would just never be acceptable. Um, to throw off the scent, one of the guys I was seeing when I was in high school, we used to put uh, Playboy magazines in my bedroom to try and try and put off the scent, but then she found those and she lost her shit again. And I remember saying to my father, why Why is everything like trigger her so much? And he said that she was molested when she was a child. So I think uh, maybe that cycle of, of uh, molestation and may have tainted her sexuality to the point she couldn't accept other people's sexuality. I guess I was lucky in a way, though, because when I finished high school, it was no longer illegal to actually be gay and things. Like people forget, up until living memory, um, I'm not sure how old you are, but it was within the last 25 years, it was legal to be gay in Queensland. Mm. And um, certainly in, when I was younger, that was no longer the case, but it was still a lot of a, a holdover from that. Mm. And there was a, still a lot of resistance and, and prejudice attached to gay people because of that especially with the whole AIDS scare in the early 90s, which is when I finished high school. And um, so a lot, of the, a lot of the exploration came from gay clubs, going to Wickham, going to sportsmen, cross-dressing, things like that, and going to places where it was acceptable. Gay saunas started becoming a thing when I left high school, so there was like body line and wet and places like that. So you had channels that just yeah. previously weren't available to people, which helped tremendously, I think. So it got to the point where after a few years I didn't care about that validation from mm. the family because I had I just moved into new circles of people who were really chill with the whole thing. Entering the workforce, like I've heard a lot of, you know, stories from you about your job and how difficult it's been at times, but do you yeah. do, do, do you feel like you've had to come out again and again when yes. you entered the workforce and, and what's that been like? It's tedious and exhausting because to me it's part of who I am, just like my hair colour or my shoe size or whatever. It's not my defining trait. But to everybody else I know, it's my defining trait. I'm the token tranny. I'm the person that people, especially liberal people, can be friends with to say, I'm, I'm open-minded, I have trans me. I had all these people come out of the woodwork who didn't want anything to do with me before I transitioned, who all of a sudden wanted to be my best friend and go and have coffee and that. And that became exhausting very quickly. We've, we've talked about in the past, uh, or you've written articles too, about the problematic ally. And um, I think I had more issues with the problematic ally than I did with the people who are openly antagonistic. Because you know what you stand with them? But then you get the people who would say that your allies, they support trans rights, but they just don't think you should use the bathroom. They just don't think this. They just don't think. There's all these conditions that they put upon it. We're willing to accept you. Like I was told, I was allowed to transition at work, but I wasn't allowed to talk about my sexual partners. I wasn't allowed to talk about who I was dating. I wasn't allowed to take partners to work functions because they said it would make people uncomfortable. You know, and they said, well, we'll accept you as long as you're this carefully constructed, asexual, non-threatening, neutral person we can park in the corner in our diversity cabinet next to the Indigenous person. You know, and that's how it felt, token tranny. And that becomes exhausting. And then when you move into an area where people didn't know, there'd always be someone who felt the need to go tell absolutely everyone. So it's impossible. It's impossible to go stealth if you um, if you already have that history behind you. And, Unfortunately, and as, and as a as a trans woman, is your is your 
dream to not have to identify as a trans woman anymore? That's a really good question, actually. I, I dropped it about eight months ago. I decided to just go queer because I think the term transgender is too loaded at the moment and I think it's too divisive and I don't think it speaks entirely for who I am as a person. And I find if I just say I'm a queer woman, people go, oh, but they don't push it further. Mm. But the, the, the sort of questions, the insanity of the questions that people feel they're allowed to ask of the trans person, like you know, about your sexual habits, about your operational status, about... Anything like that is absolutely ridiculous, and it's—I guess—it's that um, heteronormative privilege that comes with there that you would never go up to a straight person or a straight girl and say, "What is your badge look like? What is your dick mm. look like?" That people think it's okay to ask a trans person, mm. and if you get offended or frustrated, you're painted as a troublemaker. You're the mental mm. one. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Imagine if you asked me about you know whether I was circumcised right now, it would, be, it would be like so widely seen as inappropriate. It would be wildly inappropriate. It would be industrial action. You'd be pulled up before the tribunal. Uh, all of a sudden it becomes okay. And the thing is, uh, you, you, you don't face overt discrimination. I should make that point clear. In modern workplaces, very few people are stupid enough to risk their career by being open and bigoted against anyone. But there's an undercurrent. There's always an undercurrent. That was the lovely Jessica Merritt who I very much look forward to working with this year as she continues to write for us at samesame.com.au. For me personally, coming out of the closet was a molehill that took 15 years of rampant anxiety to climb. I was lucky. My mother was a sexuality counsellor and my father was one of those sensitive new age poetry dads that most people dream of having. But I was still convinced that telling them I was gay would somehow ruin our family unit. Until one night, after coming home a little drunk on passion fruit UDLs, I walked into the lounge room to say goodnight. I hugged my mum and my dad and whispered, while looking at the floor, I'm gay. And that was it. For me, there was nothing else to it. And yet I remember telling my school counsellor when I was 14 years old and making her check the corridor for foot traffic, forcing her to lock the door. I was so terrified of someone overhearing my dirty secret. For loving parents Faye and Mark Leveson, whose beautiful son Matthew went missing in Sydney eight years ago, it all came down to a note left on a pillow. We knew when he was four years old that he was gay. So when he came out when he was 18, it wasn't a shock because um, he'd been going out with this beautiful, lovely guy, beautiful guy, and basically me one day, they're more than just they're more than just mates, aren't they? But we didn't say we didn't say anything, and then the day before his HSC, he. Well, he, he, was, he tied up his room and he was always changing his room. Every time he went in there, it was different, new things, etc. so forth. And he rang me, oh sorry, he texted me and said, Mum, I've left an envelope in my bedroom, go and read it. And I thought, oh no. That, the pressure from the HSC was too much, even though he was worried about it. So we went in, went in, found the letter, read the letter, bawled my eyes out, took it down to show Mark, no surprise, text him, get your, get your butt back. <laughs> we love you just the same. <laughs> the inquest into Matthew Leveson's murder resumes early this year, and we will be there every step of the way. That concludes our first ever mini-episode of Acronym Soup. As we continue with fortnightly episodes, we'll endeavour to improve and grow from a tiny podcast seedling into a thriving podcast tree. So please do leave us your constructive feedback. 
My name is Samuel Leighton Dorr. Thank you so much for listening. Each week we'll be showcasing a new song from a new queer Australian musician. Up first we have Liam Gale and the Ponytails. Enjoy. Away, my Your high horse has been set free Forget all you have read And remember today Why day Self-conscious pride Look inside the eyes of that slow burn inside your head. Never mentions all the words they had said in that cold look behind their eyes. Only speak soft. On the blue screens, abyss, the southern line, a distant cry of a man too shy to say goodbye. Today's gone bowing, his heavy pride and wide eyes left him to do anything.